Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley, and I am currently joined by Mr. Tate Frazier himself. For those that may not know, feels like a lifetime ago, Tate was an intern for Inside Carolina. Since then, on to bigger and better things. Man, how is it going out there in California, Tate? Well, John, I don't know if it's bigger and better, but I will say, uh, you know, I miss my IC days. I, I still keep up with Inside Carolina as much as I can. And, and by that, I mean everyone in my family religiously reads Inside Carolina. So I, I know about everything going on on the message boards. And I have to say, John, this year, I just don't want to know. It, it's just too tough of a season. <laughs> I don't I don't want to know what's going on. I'm trying to keep my head in the sand. Uh, there's not enough sand in California for that. So uh, I, I'm doing my best. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. And see, the good thing out there is that there's so much else going on that you don't have the local radio, which I, I can't even listen to anymore. I just I refuse I to, bet. to turn it on at this point. Who is uh, who's really going after Carolina right now? Is it Joe Obvious and, and Adam and uh, Lauren? I mean, I know the whole crew there. I mean, I'm sure everyone's just talking about the, the struggles. Uh, David mm-hmm. Glenn, I'm sure, talking about the struggles of this Carolina team. My biggest thing, John, and I will say this uh, off the top, my expectations were not high. And I just want to put that out there because I feel like a lot of people, their expectations were very high for this team. So for me to be this downtrodden, I will say it really hurts at this point. But I'm hoping for some sort of silver lining. So I came on the podcast today to work through to find a silver lining for this team at some point. I hope we can figure that out today. We are going to try our best. And the <laughs> bad thing is that, you know, it's not really like the local personalities or really anyone. You know, they're not like downing Carolina trying to like nitpick flaws. This is just a oh, team okay, that... Good. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've just flat out struggled. And there have been some bright moments, the game against NC State, probably the biggest one so far this season. But, you know, man, the Duke game coming up this Saturday, it's by far the biggest challenge this team is going to face. And so when you're getting ready for that game going into it, I mean, where are you at mentally right now, knowing that the Duke Blue Devils are coming into Chapel Hill trying to go for a sweep this year because last year Carolina won the two of three Duke fans were pissed about that they want some revenge man where are you at right now coming into rivalry week I will tell you this uh I have been to the North Carolina Duke game in Chapel Hill going on I think since 2010 since Kendall Marshall and all those guys were there or 2011 uh 2010 2011 I've been there every single time and uh, this year I will not be at that game, John, because I can't really stomach the fact that this team is going to go into this rivalry uh, just so unprepared. You know what I mean? And it feels like you mentioned last year, the time of Kobe White feels so far removed from reality right now. And I don't know if time is just moving at a different speed for me out here in California, but it, it, it seems like just so far away from where we are today uh, with this North Carolina team that I, I don't have the 
the the allure to go into this game and really, you know, stick it to Duke, right? I feel not scared of Duke. I just don't feel as excited about the game because I don't think that North Carolina basketball is being played right now at the moment. And that's the beauty of this game when it comes down to it. We see the graphic that has, you know, the points and everything is even, you know, since 1979, whatever the, whatever that favorite graphic that ESPN is going to throw up all week leading in this game. We're going to talk about how this is the greatest basketball rivalry in all the land. And it is. We know that it is. I'm just saying right now in this moment going in, into this game, this is the first time I won't be in the building. And I don't feel like I'm missing a moment because I, I, I'm so far from seeing Carolina basketball. I want to see Carolina basketball again, John. And I'm hoping that the, the magic of this rivalry uh, against Duke will bring this team together and they play Carolina basketball and it'll be a beautiful day and I will eat my words. That's what I'm hoping for at the end of the day. That would be great. Oh, I'm right there with you. And I think, though, you can look towards that NC State game, which was the biggest rivalry yeah, game a, of the season. That, that yeah. was a perfect example. They played uh, above their billing. Brandon, you know, was just playing through an injury, and he's been great this year. I, I want to point out some of the people that have been great. I think Brandon Robinson has been a good leader for this team. I think Cole Anthony is a guy that came back and is trying to figure it out. I think a lot of people have put a lot of expectations on him. But the NC State game, I'm worried, John, was a folly. I think that moment happened, and we all got a little, you know, we got on our high horse a little bit. We thought, okay, mm-hmm. here comes the Carolina of old. We're going to go on a, on a roll because this is what Roy does. The team has finally figured it out. But I, I don't think this is that type of North Carolina team. And I want to come to grips with that. But if we beat Duke on Saturday, I'll be back. I'll, I'll be trumpeting this team again and say Roy's a genius. And, you know, that, that's sort of the cycle of, you know, how this goes with this rivalry. And where they're at in the season right now, I mean, beating Duke would be massive, even though right now the the prospects of getting to the NCAA tournament are basically slim. Yeah. Yeah, they're slim. Slim to none. I mean, the NIT would be great at this point. And even then, I mean, you have to finish above a 500 (laughs) record. But, you know, in in terms of looking at goals for the season, I mean, right now, I think that this provides the team with just something that they can focus on on the here and now, which I think they really need. So looking at the importance of Duke this year, knowing that Mm -hmm. Carolina, they don't have national title aspirations. But, I mean, what do you think it means to these kids? I think it comes down to just pride. What do you think about that? (laughs) I hope it comes down to pride. That would be great. I think at the end of the day with both these teams, right, if you're playing in this game and you went to North Carolina or you went to Duke, you basically went for the spectacle of this game, of this moment, when you're going to meet twice a year, eight miles apart, and you're going to get the full buildup from ESPN. This is why you're at these schools for a lot of kids, you know, especially the, the five-star McDonald's, McDonald's All-Americans, blue chips that are down, you know, right now playing for Duke and not so many in Carolina, um, you know, which is – I think that's the fun part about this game that I'm looking forward to on Saturday to see, you know, because a lot of a lot of times Carolina has played Duke and the talent is not equal. I mean, we remember in 2002, I mean, North Carolina was not a North Carolina basketball team by our standards as North Carolina fans and went to, you know, those games and still competed. There have been other times, like in, say, 2010, when you go to Cameron Indoor and they get blown out by 30 points. And you're kind of like, oh, this is, not North Carolina basketball. This is not the rivalry of all. And I hope it's not one of those games. And I'm worried it could be just because of the talent level and the separation of talent. But then when you look at the matchups right in the game, I see a Vernon Carey on Duke, who's been a superstar. I mean, in the Syracuse game last weekend, he's like 26 and 17. He looks like, you know, some sort of mix between Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, you know, down on the block. But we have Baycott, Armando Baycott, who is a guy who I think can play to the level of what Vernon Carey is doing at Duke. So maybe in this game he plays up to that level. 
Um, you, you, you never know how that kind of, you know, works, you know, one way or the other in these types of games. But I'm just hoping that the guys that are in this game realize what a moment it is and they play up to the moment and they compete. Because at the end of the day, in Duke, Carolina, it's all about competing. It's private school versus public school. And it's just trying to prove a point of this is the right way and we do it the right way. We are the North Carolina Tar Heels. And then Duke is saying we are Duke. We do it the right way or whatever way they do it. I don't know if it's the right way, but it's their way. And, you know, that is what the rivalry is. And I hope that we just deliver a game that, it, that, that lives up to the standard of this rivalry, if that makes any sense. Well, if UNC is going to pull off the upset, and I mean, I imagine that the Blue Devils are going to be heavy favorites in this game. I haven't seen any spreads yes. yet, but I mean, it's close to double digits, if not over that, I would imagine. But if Carolina is going to pull off the upset at home, which is a key component, I feel like, for this year, that, that the kids are going to have the home crowd behind them. How do they get mm-hmm. to that point? What has to go right for UNC if they're going to get the upset win? Uh, I think <laughs> there's a lot of things that have to go right. I think that Cole Anthony has to have what I would call an Austin Rivers-like game, what Austin Rivers did in North Carolina in 2012 in the Dean Dome, but he has to do it for North Carolina. He has to play a little bit of hero ball, and it has to work out for once. And I think um, the two guys that really you know stand out on this North Carolina team, of course, are the bigs and Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott. So if it's a game where Brooks and Baycott can dominate inside, Maybe Cole, you know, learns to make an entry pass to, to Garrison Brooks, you know, before we play that game on Saturday. And North Carolina gets rolling, and, you know, they play inside out, and the three-point shot starts to fall for a couple guys that it hasn't been able to fall for it seemingly the entire year. You know, maybe in that world, North Carolina figures out a way to win this game. But I think that Trey Jones and I, I think that, you know, Cassius Stanley, uh, I think that Duke has a lot of athletes that match up uh, or are going to win their matchups against North Carolina. So I think a lot of, you know, things have to fall right. Um, and a lot of th- a lot of shots have to go in, if that makes any sense. That's pretty easy to say. I think if Cole Anthony makes a lot of shots, because I think he's going to take a lot of shots, North Carolina has a chance. Well, as you and your co-host on your podcast, Mr. Mark Titus, say, everything's yes. better when the ball goes in the basket. <laughs> You got to make shots, John. That's all it is. You got to make shots. And if the ball goes in, you're a superstar and America loves you. And if not, you know, it's the other way around. So we all understand that. Uh, it's a very fickle point. But I think uh, in reality, Duke is a much better basketball team than North Carolina. We both know that. But I think in this rivalry, you kind of have to throw out the records as dumb as that sounds. Well, hopefully there will be a little bit of magic for the Tar Heels this year. I mean, yeah, in terms of the overall season goals, really, I think at this point, just beating Duke, trying to get that split is about all they Mm. can really hope for is in terms of making an impact. But let's go ahead and transition into just a kind of a general college basketball talk, man, because we were going over it off the air. And this has just been a terrible year for college basketball. UNC is having a just a terrible season but they are not alone. I mean, there are a lot of big-name programs that have struggled. You and, and Titus cover as much of the college basketball as y'all can. I know, you know, the, the PAC-12, whatever it is now, I know that they hold a special place in your heart, man. <laughs> yeah, when, yes. when you the look, PAC-12 update. Yeah, yeah exactly, which is, <laughs> I love it, man, every week. But in terms of just looking at this college basketball landscape right now, I mean, what is going through y'all's minds just seeing some names like in the top five? I mean, you've got Baylor as number one overall right now, and the coaches in the AP top 25. I didn't see that coming. You've got Seton Hall at number 12. Is there any sense to be made out of, out of this college basketball season? 
Absolutely not. There's no sense to be made. In fact, if you just look at the preseason rankings and you look at where we are right now, that'll show you that no one really knows what we're talking about. I mean, we watch the Champions Classic every single year, right? And we go down and we watch these teams play each other. This year we saw it at Madison Square Garden, and we all decided, well, Kansas can't be that great. You know, Trey Jones is going to win player of the year. I mean, so many, you know, things are figured out so early in college basketball. We saw Cole Anthony beat Notre Dame. That feels like a, a lifetime ago. And you make these decisions. And throughout this season, you know, Titus and I sort of try to find these little threads, you know, to keep up with that are entertaining and, you know, both, you know, enjoyable as far as, you know, good basketball being played. The problem with, you know, this season overall is that we haven't been able to really find a team that's been able to play a consistent brand of basketball. And the one team that we have been able to, you know, kind of key on is the Dayton Flyers. And they were down at the Maui, at Maui Invitational. Titus and I went and worked the Maui Invitational. Uh, we saw them up close. We also saw Kansas. I think Kansas is a real contender. Uh, I think they have the pieces to contend. But then you watch them play, and, you know, as a bouquet, just all of a sudden it's coming off the bench because he's having problems, you know, with the team or, he, you know, broke some sort of team rule, which we all know what that usually means, you know, which is probably just, you know, leisurely hanging out. And maybe there's an aroma of, you know, who knows, some sort of <laughs> herb around. Who knows? Who knows? But, like, these are the things that are going on in college basketball, but they're not – good juicy storylines like last year we saw zion williamson rj barrett you know the drama between those two guys trying to coexist we saw you know kobe white just become a star for north carolina and a point guard you know of a of an era of you know a jeff mcginnis type or an ed coda just all that great you know point guard carolina energy all into one guy from the state of north carolina so there was so much excitement i feel like last year throughout the season that i almost feel a little bit spoiled um, and then this year, like I said, we've been just trying to find what those points are. I think Baylor, who you mentioned being number one, is a very good story. I know there's always been the joke forever, you know, is Scott Drew a good coach? Mark Titus has made that very famous. I think, you know, by now we can say Scott Drew, Scott Drew is a pretty good coach. I don't know if he's a good coach, but he's a pretty good coach, and they're the number one team in the country, um, and they're holding it down. You mentioned Seton Hall. Um, they're kind of shocking people in the Big East. I mean, Villanova has been running the Big East for a while. Uh, Butler and Villanova uh, and Seton Hall are all ranked at this point uh, in the Big East. And, you know, Seton Hall, like, you know, they have a superstar on their team. And, and just across college basketball, though, I don't even know if superstar is the right term. There's a lot of good players on good teams. Marcus Howard is a really good player on Marquette. He's scoring a lot of points. If you want a gritty point guard that is your quintessential guy that can make a run in the tournament, look at Oregon. Look at Peyton Pritchard, a team that North Carolina – somehow beat earlier in the season in the Bahamas and, and they're having a really good year so far. So, you know, as much as I'm talking about these different teams and different moments going on, I still don't think there's anything as interesting as what we saw last year with Virginia making a run to the title or with Chris Beard and Texas tech being this transfer you and, you know, building a name for themselves. I mean, Illinois maybe falls into that pack. If, if you want to, you know, find a team with, you know, Brad Underwood getting that team, you know, to the top of the Big Ten, that's exciting. The Big Ten has a lot of good teams. Probably 10 teams will go to the tournament from the Big Ten. The ACC this year probably has at most five teams going to the tournament, which is very interesting. Virginia can't score. Uh, you know, the, the reigning national champs can't seem to figure out how to score the basketball, so they may not even make the tournament. They're on the bubble, basically, at this point. So, as I'm babbling on about these many storylines, I mean, there's still nothing that really is tangible that we can point to and say, that's great. I'm really excited about that, other than maybe Dayton. So, in in a nutshell, hopefully the Dayton Flyers figure it out and maybe make a Final Four run. That's all I can say, John. That's the best I got. 
See, I think you're being optimistic saying that the ACC might get in five teams into the NCAA tournament. I mean, <laughs> I'm hoping God. for five, just out of respect. I'm hoping for some blue blood respect. I know North Carolina will not be going to the tournament, but I'm hoping that, you know, maybe they just throw someone in like in Virginia just to say, hey, we want these guys in the tournament. They deserve it. They deserve it. They're, you know, a, a dynastic team in the ACC. Let's give them a chance. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, Syracuse looked like they may, may be on their way to locking up maybe a higher seed, and God, they have just fallen apart. But in, yes. looking at the NCAA tournament, I think it's going to just be a crazy year for that one, man. I think they're just going to be upsets galore. When you're looking at you know some of the teams that right now are projected to make the field for Carolina fans who still maybe want a team to you know not necessarily root for, but at least be interested and maybe pull for a little mm-hmm. bit. Who are some potential programs that fall in that category that you think that UNC fans need to keep an eye on come tournament time? I mean, I don't want to keep saying it, but it has to be the Dayton Flyers because Anthony Grant is a guy that went back to his alma mater and he's got a team that plays team basketball. The other or last weekend uh, in a win, they had 23 field goals and 21 of the 23 were assisted. And that's a beautiful brand of basketball. I think North Carolina people and fans of the way that North Carolina plays basketball will appreciate the way that Dayton plays basketball. So uh, that would be one of my picks there. Uh, as far as uh, maybe Stanford is a pick, uh, you know, a former guy, I thought Jared Hass, who, you know, obviously came from the Roy, Roy Williams, you know, coaching tree. Um, if you want to do it like that, maybe Mark Turgeon, another guy that's in the Roy Williams coaching tree. Um, if you want to validate, you know, Roy Williams credentials and his ability to kind of, you know, spread his philosophies uh, across the college basketball landscape. Um, honestly, though, as you kind of just float around, it, it's more picking players, if anything, that you maybe want to tune into and watch, to be honest with you, John. I mean, more than more than teams. I mean, Baylor is a fun team to watch, but again, they're now the favorites with Matteo Teague and, uh, you know, some of the just some of the talent that they have down there with Baylor. Um, I, I, I don't even know if there's like a an underdog story outside of Dayton. I mean, Rutgers has been fun. Uh, Rutgers is a team that not a lot of people expect to see in the top 25. They they get there for the first time in a long time this year. Um, Illinois, a, a team that North Carolina has a history with, you know, dating back to the 05 title game. Um, they've turned things around, maybe pull for them because you want to have good karma because North Carolina obviously does not have things going the right way this season, maybe. Um, those are, those would be the options I have off the top of my head. But I just think during March Madness, like you said, just enjoy the ride, enjoy the upsets. Um, and, and pull for the little guy. Honestly, this is a year for you know maybe a team that's not in a big conference to make a real run and maybe win a title. I mean, maybe Gonzaga does that, even though they're not really a little guy anymore. But maybe this is the year that they finally you know crack through and win a championship. Yeah, if there's a coach that deserves to finally have things break his way in the national championship round, or even to get to that point, get his title. It's Mark Few. Absolutely. I think a lot of Carolina fans are going to be cheering for him. I mean, we know the connection between he and Roy Williams. Coach Williams has a ton of respect for for Coach Few. So maybe this is the year that Gonzaga can finally do it. And, hey, they won't have to face Carolina in a potential national championship game. So there you go. It works out. Yeah, it works out. And everyone that is a North Carolina fan remembers uh, in Madison Square Garden, Josh Heifel killing Tyler Hansbrough. Um, that was a, a game that I was at, and that was when I got full respect for Mark Few because I was like, this guy can really coach. Um, and they've been doing it for a long time. So, yeah, like you said, this could be a good year to, to maybe pull for those guys to get one. And then, you know, it's a nice little payback uh, for 2017 because, you know, that team was destined to win and they were getting redemption for 2016. So maybe this is, you know, Mark Hughes' redemption and, and they make a run in Atlanta. So uh, that would be good. Good for the Zags.
Absolutely. All right, man. Before we wrap this up, though, I wanted to finish up with kind of a more of a lighthearted topic for you guys. <laughs> Coach K flipping out on the Cameron crazies. Mm. UNC Duke week. It would be remiss of me to not allow you the opportunity to speak directly to the Carolina fans. You guys covered it in your podcast. But I don't know, you know how many of the IC people necessarily caught that. It was great between you and Mark Titus, but just let it <laughs> let us have it. When you were watching let that, us. what was going through your mind? <laughs> well, I will be honest with you. I mean, Coach K is a is a character unlike any other in this space, and he is someone that um, I will miss dearly when he decides uh, to finally walk away, get in the coffin, and, and, and call it a day. You know what I mean? And uh, I will say this. Coach K saying shut up to those Cameron crazies with so much vitriol and, and so much passion. It was a beautiful thing because these are two, you know, people that are supposed to be in conjunction. They're supposed to be tied at the hip. They're supposed to be, you know, these are his crazies. These are K's crazies at the end of the day. These are the people that he has camping out for him. And he turns on them and he tells them to shut up. And, you know, they're, they're upset. They've never been yelled at before, so they don't know what to do with themselves. And he's yelling, shut up. And he's yelling that he's one of us. Meanwhile, they were yelling, sit with us, because, again, you know, Jeff Capel is one of them, and they wanted him to come sit there with them. And it, and it comes down, right, John, to the, at the end of the day uh, with Coach K and all things Coach K, he has never been wrong, right? So even though he may have misheard, the crazies are still in the wrong. Coach K, you know, gives him a nice verbal lashing. And then the next day he walks outside to all those kids in the tent, and he goes, come on inside. Uh, I'm going to tell you a whole story about how to be a fan. I'm going to give you a chance to give. You know what I mean? So he, he gives him a full, you know, press conference on all things, uh, being a Duke fan with all his chance. Only, only God knows or the devil, who knows, uh, what he was telling and showing these kids. But he gave them a 30-minute thing, a 30-minute speech. So not only did he yell at them, he gave them a 30-minute lecture after the fact, and he was never in the wrong. And, uh, you know, Coach K is Coach K. It is a beautiful thing to witness. And for those of us that are Carolina fans, when Coach K has these moments, right, John, it just, you know, it kind of solidifies who you are and why you're on the right side of things, you know. So that was the best part of this. It was, it was hilarious. It was funny. It was lighthearted for everyone except for Coach K. Uh, and those are always good moments. So uh, I'm happy you let me have this stage. I, I feel really blessed by that. No problem at all, man. It just reminded me of uh, the comparison between Kay and, and Coach Williams. You know, Roy famously <laughs> has brought kids donuts who used to wait outside for the Duke tickets in freezing cold weather outside of the Dean Dome back when they had the ticket system. And, you know, I think that's really a good comparison between those two is one yells at his kids and the other one brings donuts. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and one of them is a professional coach that the, the crazies are props, and one of them treats them like people, and that's uh, our Coach Williams. So, uh, and Coach Smith did it first, and, and we all know uh, what it means to actually be in the Carolina family. So it's, it's always good to have that confirmed. Absolutely, man. All right, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up today. Thanks a lot for talking with me before this week's rivalry game against Duke. It was a pleasure, and hopefully we'll get you back on the podcast before the season's over with, man. Absolutely. Go Heels. Before we get to the second half of the podcast with Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan, let's take a quick moment to talk about our good friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. If you need any of your rivalry gear with the Duke game coming up this Saturday, you can find it there at Giant T-Shirt where they have been in business on Franklin Street for decades. They have the absolute best customer service. They have everything that you could want for the Tar Heel fan in your family. 
And if you can't make it to Franklin Street, you can shop online at GiantTShirt.com where you can get that same great selection and the same great customer service. And don't forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either there at the Giant T-Shirt location on Franklin Street or online at GiantT-Shirt.com. So that is Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. It was great talking with Tate Frazier during part one, but now I am going to be joined in part two by Mr. Sean Moran and Mr. Sherell McMillan. Guys, it is rivalry week. The Duke game is on Saturday there in the Dean Dome. Let me start off with this question to both of you guys. Given the way that the season has gone, how much importance is going to be placed on the Duke game this year? Obviously, we know it's a huge game for the rivalry purposes. However, in a lot of years, this is billed as a top 10 matchup. It's not that this season, though. So taking that into consideration, what really is the magnitude of this upcoming game on Saturday? Sean, let's start with you. Starting with the hard-hitting questions, John. Um, I mean, I think overall, look, right now, UNC, unless they win the ACC tournament, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Um, so, you know, in terms of getting a big win for the committee, it, it doesn't have that effect. Uh, in terms of the national exposure, it'll be on a primetime game and game day is coming, but I doubt, you know, the, the average fan is that excited to tune in this year with, with how UNC is doing. But, you know, I think for all the UNC fans, it's still a huge, huge game, uh, you know, coming off of two wins and Cole Anthony coming back and then, two rather frustrating losses. I think everybody's at a very interesting point in terms of, uh, you know, what their thoughts are on the team and the players. And I think, you know, it, it gets, it gets a, a uh, you know, a sold out crowd Saturday night game, still some recruits in the stands that you want to play well in front of, and you definitely don't want a, a blowout. And I think it gives them an opportunity to at least have positive momentum going into the second half of the ACC season with a big win, you know, right now, Ken Palm has them as a 12 point underdog at home, which is pretty crazy to say, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities that they could, they could pull the upset given, you know, how college basketball is this year. All right, Sherelle, what's your take on this year's matchup against the Duke blue devils? I, I think it's very similar to uh, when a football team has struggled for most of the year, say they're three and eight going to the final week of the season it's always, well, hey, this is our bowl game. You know, we're obviously we're not going to a bowl game, so we're going to go out there, we're going to run trick plays, we're going to do whatever it takes to win the game, and, you know, this this is it for us, so we're going to put everything into this game. Now, it's not North Carolina's final game, but it is the Duke game, so I think it will have that kind of feel to it. it. It'll feel like, you know, this is as big of a game as North Carolina will play this year uh, unless they somehow make it to, you know, the ACC tournament finals. Um, this is probably the... I guess they, they still play at Louisville, but, you know, I, I don't know if that's winnable. But this is probably their most winnable game of the ones remaining against the team um, who is good, who is, you know, highly ranked, who's going to be in the, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so I, I think it has all that going for it. And as Sean said, there's going to be some recruits there. But in general, it's just a chance for the program to feel good again for a day. I think it was like that against Miami and it was like that against NC State. And that's kind of what I, I think, um, you know, is, is at stake uh, for people like Cole Anthony. It's a chance to uh, maybe hush some of the criticism about him. He's going up against a, 
a really good defender in Trey Jones. He's going against NBA size, so it, it's a game for him to put out some some really good uh, film for NBA executives. Same thing can be said for someone like uh, Armando Baycott or, or Garrison Brooks. You know, these games are, are more than just the final score. They're they're a chance for people to evaluate. Um, they're a chance for recruits to to look at the programs and see where they are. So there's still a lot at stake, even though. For North Carolina, it, you know, winning would be great, but it, it's not going to change the course of the season. So, Sean, looking at the Kim Palm stats this year and the rankings, how do they project this matchup between UNC and Duke to go? You mentioned that they that it has Duke favored by double digits, but I mean, when you're looking at like offensive rating, defensive rating, how do those two areas stack up when you're comparing this year's UNC squad versus Duke? Yeah, so just looking at them, Duke's offense is number four, and their defense is surprisingly number nine, uh, as opposed to UNC, whose offense is 130, uh, which is crazy to say. And they got you know up into the 80s or 90s just uh, last week, and their defense is 80. So from you know offensive defensive standpoint, you, you would think these two teams are extremely far apart, which they have been just given given the records. But you know you have Duke who's shooting uh, 35% from three, but, you know, against BC, they went one of 15 and you go down the lineup and, you know, Cheryl mentioned Trey Jones, talented sophomore guard. And then you really have a bunch of, of freshmen. Now, some of these freshmen are ones that UNC tried to get Vernon Carey, Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt. So there's a lot of talent there, but you know, I know we're a little ahead of getting into matchups, but I would say Cole Anthony should be able to hopefully redeem himself after the, the Florida State game. Uh, I think he will be able to penetrate on on Trey Jones and how Duke plays. You can spread the court out on them pretty easily and I think get into the basket. Uh, Vernon Carey is their only true big guy. So I think Garrison Brooks, you know, should if, if he does get touches in the post, should be able to at least get good shots. And then you have Armando, who will probably be going against Matthew Hurd in the post, and he should be able to establish positions. So I think some of the matchups are could be favorable to UNC, but from just a statistical standpoint, it's uh, night and day between the two teams. Let's actually go ahead and start talking about those matchups, Sean, and going to kick it over to Sherelle for this one. What is the number one matchup that you're looking forward to in the, in this game, Rel, just in general? Uh, you know, the obvious answer is, is Trey Jones and Cole Anthony. You have Trey Jones, who is, like we said, a, a really good defender um, who has been lauded nationally for, you know, his defense that, he, that he's played um, and really for about a half. He, he really, I think he rattled Kobe White last year. Now, Kobe got the, the last laugh because he went off in the second half in the final game last year, but that just shows you the type of defender he can be. And I think Cole Anthony, you know, really needs to have a good performance. You know, his win is probably getting back. This will be his third game. He'll have had almost a full week off. So I, I expect his best effort. And, you know, coming into the season, I think if people would have said, what's the matchup you're most looking for, it, it would have been looking forward to. It would have been those two. So, that's one. Um, and then the other one is uh, two freshmen. Um, there's a lot of history between Renan Carey and Armando Baycott that we can discuss when we talk about recruiting more. But um, another chance for Baycott to really show his stuff against a, a player who's going to be, you know, a top 10, top 15 pick in the draft. Let's dig into that post play a little bit more. And Sean, you know, I know that you 
covered both Vernon Carey and Armando Bacot a lot during their high school careers. So when you are looking at those two guys, I mean, at this point in the season, Carey has had the better year. I think that's you know pretty clear just looking at the stats. However, you know, Armando has played well against him during times when they were on the AAU, high school, things like that. So talk to us about that matchup and what you think those two guys, what impact they might have on the game as a whole. Yeah, I think, well, I think it'll first of all be interesting to see what the matchups are. Uh, You know, I think if UNC were coming into this with a top 10, 15 record, I think really the matchup of focus would be on Matthew Hurt versus possibly Armando or Garrison. And how does UNC guard the stretch four? And then how does the stretch four guard the guy in the post? But in terms of carry, you know, UNC and Roy Williams spent a lot of time recruiting him and they were kind of one of the first offers in that, in that class. Uh, and, and I think he's a guy who's had a, I'd say a sensational season. And I don't think he's gotten uh, kind of his due for how well he has been playing. You know, part of it is, He's not a, a sexy guy like Zion, and even though he was highly ranked in high school, he doesn't have that NBA appeal, uh, at least in the, the mock drafts either. So he's kind of, you know, a, a Okafor type type player. Uh, but I mean, he's he's averaging 18 points, averaging nine rebounds in under 25 minutes, and has been extremely efficient doing so. Uh, and you look at Armando, who is still trying to find his way. You know, he's been the second big man behind Garrison Brooks, who had found his way really before the last two games. But here at Armando, who was starting to play well in the ACC play, um, offensive ratings over 100 and several games in a row, double doubles, but still one that is is trying to find his niche and still trying to figure out how he scores best. I think last time we were talking about how his passing ability had improved, but right now, if you throw the ball into him, and he does his hook shot, you're not all that confident it's, it's going to go in unless he's under the basket and able to take a dribble and go up. You know, he's, he's still having his uh, difficulties. So the, the two freshmen have been put in very different circumstances, and I think if they were to guard each other, Carey would, would get the better of Armando, but at the same time, perhaps Armando is a little more motivated to go up against Carey. But um, I do think it's going to be interesting to see who guards hurt and can they – you know, kind of stay with him on the perimeter. He's not the quickest guy. So in terms of penetrating, I'd say fine, let him, let him do that. But uh, will Duke be sending doubles, you know, to the bigs to, to help hurt or how are they going to defend the, the two big system for UNC? Yeah. When you're looking at ways that UNC can attack Duke, what comes to your mind, Cheryl? How do you think UNC can even begin to start to pull the upset against Duke in this one? Well, I don't think it's that much different, even though the records are, are vastly different. The strategy to me is still the same as it's been for most Carolina uh, Duke games. It's Carolina needs to pound the ball inside. That's where their advantage is. Um, even though Vernon Carey is a very good player, he's just one player. You know, Javin Delorier is a solid backup, but, you know, I, I think you would take your chances with uh, Armando Bacot and uh, Garrison Brooks having the ball in the paint against Delorier. So, uh, you know, to me, it, it hasn't changed at all. It's it's the same thing. Can North Carolina, as Sean said, uh, defend the stretch four that Duke employs typically, you know, with Hart? Uh, even Wendell Moore might shift down there and play some. Um, can North Carolina's bigs guard them on the perimeter? 
and then can North Carolina use their size and take advantage on the boards, um, offensive rebounds, and, and scoring the paint. So um, even though the teams are vastly different as far as record and as far as momentum, I think the strategy for both teams is still very similar to what a typical Duke UNC game is. And adding a few things to that, I think it's also, you know, Cheryl mentioned Cole Anthony and, and Trey Jones. And, you know, yesterday I was kind of rewatching the Florida State game and then just watching a few snippets from uh, the USA U18s where both Cole and Kobe White were in the same backcourt, as well as some um, highlights from the McDonald's game slash scrimmage and uh, the Hoop Summit game slash scrimmage. Just to go back and, and, you know, when Cole was getting MVPs and seeing how he was doing it. And one of the things I noticed was how strong he is in transition, you know, it, it, where he's able to use his really his quickness and his power. And I think I've been able to see that against Florida State as well as Boston College at times. Uh, I know in the second half against Florida State, he, he kind of got himself in trouble, turned the ball over on the, the left wing, trying to dribble in between two defenders. But I think he's able to really push it up quickly and authoritatively. And he's able to, you know, hit his man in stride. I know he did that with Playtech early in the game. And I think that is an advantage that UNC needs to take, uh, you know, really needs to to push the ball. Um, Duke's 45th in tempo and UNC's playing at one of their slowest tempos they've ever played at. But I feel with these games, for the most part, they can usually develop into that up-tempo system. And I feel if Cole is able to push the ball and look to attack in transition, uh, some some easy opportunities might afford both himself as well as teammates. And then the second part is in the half court. I think Florida State and really all the games in the past, there have been difficulties with over-dribble, whether it's Cole or, or Leaky, but there's a lot of dribbling instead of ball movement going on. And I think Duke, they like to extend their pressure. And even though Trey Jones is a really good defender, he's more of kind of a pest rather than, I'd say, somebody that can just lock you down. And I think if Cole is decisive in his movement, he'll be able to get by Jones and get into the paint, potentially create for himself or his teammates. But I think he really needs to eliminate the over-dribbling and needs to be decisive in his movement because that's how you're going to be able to attack Duke and get some easy baskets. So, Sherelle, how big of a deal do you think it is that this game is being played in the Dean Dome? Because UNC's record... This season has not been great. I mean, everyone saw them unfortunately lose against Boston College just last weekend. However, this is the Duke game. It's going to be the best atmosphere in the Dean Dome by far. Do you think, though, that the fans, maybe there's a little bit of that residual just negativity, them being down on the team that may sneak in a little bit? Or do you think that this is going to be the usual excellent Dean Dome crowd for this matchup that we've seen in the past? I think you'll get the usual uh, Dean Dumb crowd you've seen in the past. Kind of, this feels kind of like a last stand. Uh, this is the fans' um, last effort to, to try to help the team. And I think all they need or all they want is just a little bit of life, and, and they will be pretty energized. So it's up to the team to, you know, not get down 12 to 2 or, you know, go on a, allow Duke to go on a 16 nothing run or, miss 12 of their four, first 14 shots, if they can just kind of hang around and, and be there, I think the crowd will stay with them throughout the game. So not worried about it, about that at all. And for some of the Duke freshmen, you know, it, it's it's always uh, interesting to see how they handle it. Some have handled it well, and, and for others, it's just been, you know, too much for them. And, you know, the Smith Center 
for all the um, negativity that sometimes is harped upon it, it, it can be an intimidating place to play because it's so big. And when the crowd is loud, it's very loud because there's so many people in there. Uh, so, I, you know, I expect a, a, a loud crowd and I think they'll do their best to help UNC. This is definitely a game where, you know, Carolina can come out fired up. You know, you think that, you know, at least once or twice during a season, a team can really elevate their play. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to do that Saturday night. There's a lot of motivation um, going into that game for uh, UNC just because of the way the last two games have gone with Cole. You know, they finally had a chance to rest. They're finally going to have a couple of days of, of like real practice. That's really important, too, because the last couple of weeks has just been game, you know, travel day game. So now they've had a couple of days off. They've had time to rest. They're going to have practice. So I think you'll see a good effort from them on Saturday. All right, let's talk tactics real quick here. Sean, if you are Coach Williams, how are you approaching this game? Do you think that he might have a new wrinkle prepared for Duke? We've seen that in the past where there was the one season where they switched every single screen. You know, Roy has tried to implement at least one thing, I feel like, in most of these matchups. But given just the disparity between the records, how the teams are playing, the stats coming into this game this season. I mean, do you think Roy Williams has a bag of tricks that he can reach into and try to come up with something new that could provide an edge here? Well, I know in, in the past, whether it's PJ starting at the four or switching all screens uh, or, or kind of putting Bryce on, you know, the weakest weakest link on the perimeter, There, there's often been time something that they've done to adjust either early on or, or at the half. And, you know, besides switching, while, while Duke is rated high offensively, I, I don't think this team is that scary where you need to be concerned about, you know, what, how do we do something different that we haven't done all year? I think it's more, how does UNC react offensively? You know, they're coming from playing Florida state. That was a very athletic team. Uh, and I think, Really, and it was, I think it was one of the better message board uh, conversations I was reading this week, but it was um, the offensive observations of how with Cole Anthony, you're running a lot of the high pick and rolls uh, versus when he wasn't in, it was just throw it down low and let Garrison and Armando go to work. And the team was starting to identify around that. Then you throw K, uh, Cole in and there's kind of been chaos in terms of the big man producing and Cole forcing shots and maybe taking too many shots. So I really think offensively, they just need to focus and be assertive in terms of looking to penetrate from Cole and being quick with their movements because Duke's not a good shot blocking team and they often over uh, kind of over guard leading open lanes to penetrate. So I think if UNC just focuses on their offensive end and if they are decisive, then that can kind of replace a PJ Harrison going into the starting lineup or something a little out there that Roy has uh, been known to do at times. All right, good stuff, guys. Let's take a very quick commercial break. And when we get back, let's move the topic over to recruiting. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. So talking about the recruits that may be in the Dean Dome for this one, Sherelle, you know, usually there is at least a a few guys that are considered cream of the crop, five-star guys who are going to be making the trip to watch the matchup because this is going to be the game that's on national TV. It's still getting that primetime spot. College game day is going to be there, all the hoopla, et cetera, et cetera. This season, though, I mean, what can you tell us about just the overall quality of players that that you expect to be there? Are there any big names that have already announced that they will be attending this year's matchup? Well, you know, right now we talked about Harrison Ingram, um, and we'll have a little more in the weekly scoop tomorrow about um, that visit upcoming. Uh, the other one was supposed to be Kennedy Chandler, who is a uh, offered point guard from Memphis, but he has opted to not visit this weekend. Instead wants to officially visit in the fall. <clears throat> so right now um, that's Ingram's kind of the big one. I would expect that a couple of uh, guys, you know, local to North Carolina will probably stop by, um, but that's what they have right now. Um, and I, I don't think that's particularly indicative of North Carolina struggling or North Carolina not wanting recruits there because they think something bad is going to happen. I think it's just kind of the way the schedule worked out uh, this year. What's your take on that, Sean? How big of a deal do you think it is for UNC to get some potential five-star guys in Chapel Hill for this year's matchup? I think it's good to have Ingram and uh, Bradley coming in to see the atmosphere. I mean, it's Overall, it's, you're not going to be able to beat the atmosphere. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been at one of those games, but you can always feel the goosebumps, you know, 30 to 45 minutes beforehand, especially with it being a Saturday night game. So it's great to see uh, the Dean Dome as rowdy as it as it gets. Uh, now, obviously, the, the outcome is, especially this year, um, a little in doubt. But, you know, how, how important is it in the grand scheme of things? I think when you're in the moment, I mean, I'm thinking right now of the Andrew Wiggins game and Rashad Vaughn and all those guys that were there uh, a while back. And did any of those ever, ever come to Carolina? No. Uh, so, you know, I think it's good to have them, them in the stands uh, and see the atmosphere, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, I don't think, I don't think it really moves the needle one way or the other, unless, you know, there is an upset win and now they get to go party on Franklin Street. 
Yeah, and uh, something I, I would add too is that you know it's fun to go to the North Carolina Duke game. It's a great environment, like we talked about. But I don't know that it really moves the needle of a recruitment per se. Um, for example, in 2017, North Carolina had a really impressive group of players there. Um, there was one guy who went on to be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, there's another one uh, who plays for the New York Knicks now who was there. Um, the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan, was there. That was the ceiling is the roof game. You know, the the atmosphere was crazy. You know, everything was just great. It was a perfect night from a Carolina standpoint. And Zion Williamson, who was there, went to Duke. And Kevin Knox went to Kentucky. So, um, you know, I, it's it's great to have, but I don't know that it will particularly change anyone's mind uh, about whether or not they're going to come to Carolina. So it's a good thing, but, you know, it's it's not a – final decider or anything when it comes to some of these recruitments between Duke and Carolina. Yeah, I'm glad that you actually brought that aspect up, Sherelle, because that's where I wanted to kind of try to start wrapping this podcast up is just looking at these rosters. I mean, I think you both mentioned the fact that, you know, Carolina really went after Vernon Carey. They went after Jalen Hurts. I mean, there are a lot of guys that both UNC and Duke recruited just in the last season or two. And unfortunately, Duke seems to have gotten the better of most of those recruiting battles. But looking forward, you know, towards the class of 2021, I mean, where do you guys think UNC and Duke are at in terms of that class? I know it's still pretty early on, but Sean, are there any recruits that are being heavily pursued by both Coach K and Roy Williams at this point that you're aware of? Yeah, I'll let uh, Sherelle add or correct me if I misspeak, but in terms of the early offers that UNC had, uh, Paulo Banchero as well as uh, Patrick Baldwin, both of those have uh, significant Duke interest, and I think a lot of people suspect that Baldwin will will end up at Duke. Uh, And then you have Kennedy Chandler, who UNC offered uh, previously, and then Duke came in with an offer later. So I think out of looking at those three, I would, you know, this is just my own strictly opinion. I would say Banchero and Baldwin could easily fall into the category of, you know, these top five recruits that UNC has lost out on to Duke. Uh, whereas Chandler, uh, I think, might have a higher probability, especially given the need for a point guard uh, after Caleb, Caleb Love. So yeah, I think Chan- Chandler, you know, could be one of the main options. And as UNC continues to uh, offer new players in the 2021 class, Chet Holmgren, for instance, and it'll continue over the next few months. I think you'll start to see a lot of common players that that have both schools focused. But for now, it's been uh, really Duke that's been dominant the last, you know, five five or so years when it comes to these one-and-done players. And UNC spends a lot of time, and they haven't really achieved the success they would like. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see who they continue to go after and, and which battles they go into uh, at the end for. All right, Sherelle, you get the final word in this one. Looking towards the future, how do you see the recruiting battles panning out between UNC and Duke for the class of 2021 or maybe even 2022 if you can look into your crystal ball that far ahead? Well, I kind of wanted to actually go back. Okay, <laughs> and, let's do and, it. And look at the last few classes because I do think it's an interesting um, thing to study when um, you talk about North Carolina's um, offers to Duke players and Duke players, Duke's offers to North Carolina's players. So, so yeah, North Carolina um, from this current Duke roster offered Wendell Moore, Vernon Carey, uh, Javon Delorier, and also Matthew Hurt. So that's four players 
um, that, you know, North Carolina was very interested in, you know, hurt. You could argue at one point was North Carolina's top target, uh, especially at the hybrid forward position. You could argue Vernon Carey was North Carolina's top uh, post uh, prospect in the uh, 2019 class. Linda Moore was very clearly um, the top wing prospect in the class for North Carolina. They offered him uh, the second earliest of any player Williams has offered at UNC, the other being Harry Giles, who also went to Duke. So UNC is very familiar with their roster, but at the same time, um, the last couple of classes, you're starting to see players that, um, you know, Duke offered went to North Carolina. So Armando Baycott, you know, I don't know if all of our readers know this, but he was kind of a diehard Duke fan growing up. And that was the school he always wanted to go to. But Duke kind of, I don't want to say slow played, but they didn't give him the attention that North Carolina did. And by the time that he was getting ready to decide and Duke you know, said, oh, maybe we should really recruit this kid hard. He had already decided that he was going to go to North Carolina. So that's why I was talking about the Baycott, uh, Baycott carry thing. Um, there might be some motivation there for Baycott to show Duke like, hey, you could have had this and you missed out. Um, so there's there's that thing at play. And then Cole Anthony, you know, people just assumed that because he was the next best one and done point guard and that he was highly rated that he was going to go to Duke. So that was the assumption really until, uh, you know, I would say um, about this time, two years ago, um, people really started to see that he didn't have a list that he was really going to focus um, on his junior season at that point, um, And that, you know, he wasn't going to go too deep into recruiting. And then you started to hear, you know, more things behind the scenes that said, well, maybe he's not as interested in Duke as in Kentucky as previously thought. And of course he ends up at North Carolina. So, that is unique and, and, and different, especially considering how the you know things have gone. You know, let's just say the last five or six years with all of the players who ended up at Duke, who North Carolina offered, whether it was Brandon Ingram or Jason Tatum or Harry Giles or um, you know just on and on and on, uh, Jaleel Okafor, you know, just a lot of players <laughs> that Duke ultimately went out on. Now. The flip side of that is, is that North Carolina still got the players it wanted and has, you know, held its own in this rivalry. So I think it says a lot about Roy Williams. It says a lot about Coach K that he can really recruit, but it also says a lot about Roy Williams that he's able to pivot from some of his top targets who end up going to the school that's his biggest rival and is still able to hold his own and the team's own in the rivalry. So just always interesting to look back at those things. And you talked about moving forward. Well, this year, North Carolina beat Duke for Walker Kessler, which is still one of the biggest recruiting surprises, I think, of the last decade. You know, really back to Harrison Barnes when, again, North Carolina surprised uh, everyone and beat out Duke for a player. Um, So that's where they are in 2020. And then, as Sean talked about, there's multiple players in 2021 and 2022 that I think they're both going to go after and both be very interested in. So um, the two schools will continue to battle on the recruiting on the recruiting trail and i think you're starting to see north carolina put together a couple more victories than they had you know the past decade who would have thought that sherelle would be the bright ray of sunshine that we needed going into this duke game reminding everyone that you know the the general optics may be that coach k is just running this recruiting world but uh yeah here lately you know roy williams has more than held his own Guys, before we do wrap it up, though, let's go ahead and get some real quick predictions. You don't have to give me a final score, but, I mean, how do you think this game is going to go on Saturday night? Sherelle, since you just talked a ton, I'm going to let you go second. So, Sean, start us off, man. 
All right. I am going, uh, I don't know if it's going to be an upset win, but for any gamblers out there, I'm going with a UNC cover and the over. Um, I think UNC has a strong offensive performance. Uh, I think Cole will get going, and I think it, sh- it should definitely be closer than the the experts think. And two players that, you know, not going to score 20, but I can see Keeling uh, continued his strong play. And I think Justin Pierce uh, might be able to hit a few a few shots um, going going against Duke. And it's definitely not kind of the Florida State athleticism, which will allow him a few more uh, seconds to get a shot off. So I think overall it's going to be a stronger offensive performance than we've seen. I'm not going to be surprised if they pull the upset, but I do think they uh, make it closer than what's going to be the line in Vegas. All right, go ahead, Sherell. Wrap it up. I'll be surprised if they pull the upset. And that's not, you know, there's nothing against North Carolina, but they just, they're not gelling. I I think the hope is, like we mentioned earlier, is that they go to practice and they can kind of uh, regroup. But, um, you know, Duke isn't an overwhelming team this year, but they're pretty solid. And North Carolina just, it, it can't, you can't beat teams when you can't score and you can't shoot. And there's just too many times where, they go six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven minutes without a field goal, and it's just it's impossible to win. Even as down as college basketball is, it's impossible to win that way. Um, so, you know, I, I think the hope is is that they get uh, uh, energized. Uh, Armando Baycott is that Cole Anthony can be a little more efficient, and then as Sean said, maybe Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling can each hit a shot or two just to loosen things up. And they just, I feel like they just have to pound it inside. Like, you know, Cole should take 14 or 15 free throws again. And Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks both should have, you know, 10 plus field goal attempts. I think that's their path to victory. Um, I don't think it happens, but I, I think that's, if it were to happen, I think that's how it has to happen. All right, guys, great stuff. Well, we will have to see how the matchup turns out on Saturday. I do think it is going to be a great environment, but, you know, Stranger things have happened in this rivalry. So, hey, maybe Carolina can have the fates turn their way for one of the rare times this season. But thanks a lot for talking with me tonight, and we'll be back next week with our weekly Coast to Coast podcast. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.